2: Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, it's Ed Martin, it's the Pro-America Report, great to be with you, and so many are tuned in on uh, on Periscope and Parlor and other places. Uh, social media is exploding with voices. You'll notice if you're on uh, Periscope, I am wearing a very special tie today. It's my snowflake tie. It's my snowflake tie. You'll get the point. There's a lot of snowflakes out there, but I just thought today as I looked on, I thought, put on the snowflake tie. Uh, it seemed like it's a beautiful, sunny day. But there you have it. All right, great to be with you. Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. Don't forget to go to edmartinlive.com to sign up for the email, the daily email, which gives you the wink, what you need to know, what you need to know, the wink, the daily wink, which is what we'll cover right here uh, in this opening segment of the radio show every single day and on Periscope every single day. It's the wink of the Pro-America Report, and it's a good one because in the last few hours, there has been endless coverage of St. Tony Fauci uh, Saint Tony Fauci of the CDC, as he once again uh, proves that scientists can't be leaders, and uh, no leader who's a scientist can really work out. At least with this, when it comes to the, the uh, this uh, uh, the, the the China the China virus, the Chinese virus, and here's why. Dr. Fauci went before one of the Senate committees uh, by, um, by video camera. And let me pause. Let me pause and tell you all something. I, if, you're, if you're able to hear this, this is going to be maybe the most important thing I can tell you. Because we're all living in a world where we're going to have to do video from our desktop computer, from our phone, whatever it is. And I want to give you the single best tip that will make you not look like a lunatic in their basement or in their office uh, talking. It it just will make you look serious. Are you ready for this? Because Fauci Fauci broke this rule. Anthony Fauci was at his desk, I guess, at his home somewhere around D.C., and the camera was about five feet over his head. And it made him look like it was, it made it look like it was an observation, like a NSA camera that they just flipped on. He wasn't even looking at the camera. So here's my tip for Zoom, for FaceTime, for your own phone. And this is a pro tip. This is a tip I picked up when I was at CNN, when I was working at CNN as one of these, uh, I was a contributor. I, I, I watched people do it. You must always have the camera. The camera must be slightly above eye level. Now watch for what I've told you now, when you see on TV, the men and women who are on TV, coming from their laptop, coming from their handheld, coming from their phone, whatever it is, when they have the camera slightly above their eye level, They just look serious. It it has nothing, well, it has something to do with how your body, how you're used to seeing people. We're used to looking people in the face and, and we're not used to, it doesn't feel good to be looking up at people. It doesn't feel, it feels uncomfortable. If you think about when you're in the presence of somebody who's a lot taller than you, if you look up at them, it feels kind of vulnerable or something. It has something to do with how we, when you expect to see someone with some authority, with some seriousness, they're slightly above eye level. And in the camera. So never open your laptop and look down at it ever. I mean, it looks terrible. So anyway, that's my, I'm sorry I digress, but that's my tip. It's a pro tip on how to look better and more authoritative and more persuasive when you're on camera. But back to Fauci. Dr. Fauci testified today, and you won't believe it. After all this time, after all the data, he has data and data and data. We've spent billions, trillions. Nancy Pelosi uh, presented a new bill today. She wants to spend $3 trillion more on everything that a Democrat's ever dreamed of. We've spent trillions of dollars. We've spent two months locked down. And Anthony Fauci says, it probably, if we go back too soon, it'll be really serious. You get that? N- nothing definitive, nothing realistic, nothing, nothing concrete, nothing even directionally right. If we go back too soon, it, it will be really, really tough for us. What? After two months, look, here's what I have to tell you Fauci and Burks and everybody. I, you know, I met Dr. Burks. So just before this all broke out, I was invited to the, the vice president's office. It was the vice president, Dr. Burks, Mark Short, the vice president's chief of staff, and about six other people, maybe seven other people, and myself, and the, including uh, Katie Miller, the woman that got, um, has, has the, uh, China, the Chinese virus. And all we are all there. And it was a briefing. And Dr. Burks was very impressive. She's a very impressive lady. She's very smart together. But here's what we know after two months they didn't, we, we, we took a two month break from our lives because we feared this was the bubonic plague. Right. And the president said, you guys got to trust me. This could be really the bubonic plague. This could be we could have people dying in the streets. We can't have that. And Fauci said, that's right. It could be. I mean, Fauci had to say basically we didn't know six weeks ago, but the Chinese lied to us and we don't know. It looks really bad. We better do this. Okay, we did that for two months and it's not the bubonic plague. Now, it's not the flu, but it's not the bubonic plague. And we can't stay hiding in our homes and shutting down our economy because we thought it might have been the bubonic plague. It wasn't. And what you need to know is Fauci and Birx were wrong then. I'm not blaming them, I'm describing it. They were wrong then. That it may be, I mean, they were wrong in thinking it's the bubonic plague and therefore we have to stop. So we stopped everything and we flattened the stupid curve and we made sure that there weren't people dying in the streets. And we made sure we have enough ventilators and enough beds and enough medicine and enough doctors and enough PPE. We did all of that because we were afraid we could have had catastrophic impact on our living together. I'm fine with all that. I mean, I'm, I wish I could go back in time. I wish we could make another judgment. But now we were, are where we are. And Fauci's now saying, if you go back too soon, it might be really bad. But he doesn't say what too soon is. He doesn't say what the choices are. He doesn't have anything other than this, this doom and gloom. And here's the problem. And this is what you need to know. Whether he realizes it or not, Fauci is setting up we the people and he's putting us in a position where he's pitting us all against each other because he's saying if you go back too soon it'll be bad therefore he's saying you should blame each other if you go back too soon but he's not giving us an alternative to his last recommendation 2 months ago which is we have to shut it down and so now we can look at it and we can say we can say to each other you made us shut it down and we have 40 million unemployed you were wrong you're an idiot you're a jerk we're mad Or and we want to open up or we can what not open up and then and keep this up. In other words, what Fauci's done is made sure that he gets none of the blame won't get any credit. By the way, there's no credit to be had here. He knows that, but he's trying to get none of the blame. He needs to stop talking in public. He needs to stop. He needs to say, I've done everything I can to give scientific advice. I'm going to continue to do that, but I'm not going to go and and speak in front of the con. He needs to stay it. Yeah. Uh, on, on, On Periscope, someone just said Los Angeles stay at home order was just extended three more months. In Northern Virginia, where I live, they just extended it for two more weeks in Northern Virginia. These people are not understanding that we have we have gotten to the point where we know it's not the bubonic plague we know it's not the flu I'm not one of the people who's on TV saying it's not the it's it's something it's just the flu it's just the flu I know it's not the flu I know it's not the flu I know it's more serious I know it's going to be with us longer but we cannot we cannot stay in our homes we cannot stay shut down anymore and the fact is Dr. Fauci, and what you need to know, Dr. Fauci continues to give advice as if his advice can be followed. It can't even be followed anymore. It's not credible anymore. So he needs to stop it. And what you need to know is we all have to assess the risks. There are going to be risks. It is going to be hard for some people. We should definitely do some things to protect our nursing homes more and our seniors more. And and look, I have in my own family, my own extended family, I have one family member that's got some heart issues. I've got another with asthma. There's lots of things we're going to have to do to be careful about this disease. But we know we tried the two-month plan to make sure we didn't have the bubonic plague and death on on our doors and in our streets and our hospitals broken. And we we, we, we got through that. But we can't do that for two more months, three more months, six more months, or even two more weeks. And when we have loss, when we have suffering, when we have people that are hurting, we'll be able to say to each other, not Oh, what did Fauci say? It might be really bad. No, we'll say, man, sometimes life gives you a bad hand. Sometimes you're dealt a bad hand. Sometimes the Lord puts in your path challenges that were worse than you thought. But the cure of Fauci is 100% worse than the illness. That's the facts now. And now he's just undermining the chance for we, the people, to live together. Look, I said it yesterday, and I ought to stop this now, uh, but this is what you need to know. Jeff Greenfeld wrote a piece in Politico where he said it's not World War II. Why? Because in World War II, everybody agreed we could work together. Right now, we have everybody agreeing to fight amongst themselves. you got Pelosi grandstanding. You've got the establishment pulling back. you got Fauci running something. The media is going wild like never before. Fauci's wrong again, and he needs to stop. That's the message, right? That's what you need to know. We'll take a break on the radio program. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, we were just talking off the air. I haven't had him on the air in a while. Adam Mill, he writes over at uh, American Greatness. He's an attorney in private practice. That is his uh, nom de plume. That's his pen name. Uh, So he has a little secrecy here. But he has a great piece up there a few days ago that I really grabbed onto my head because I thought, you know, the way this swamp stuff works is the swamp does these things, then they scurry back to their private, uh, you know, kind of positions, whether uh, one one of the Mueller guys went back back to NYU to a professorship they go back to big law firms and make a million dollars a year or more than that and uh, one of those folks is a guy named Brandon Van Grack Brandon Van Grack, who was a prosecutor in the Flynn case, and just an hour before the Flynn, uh, uh, the Justice Department uh, dropped the charges, filed a motion to drop the charges, he removed himself from the case. He he filed a motion with the court saying, I'm dropping out of the case. And he didn't quit his job, as far as we know. He kept his job, kept getting paid uh, and all that. Uh, But Adam Mill took the opportunity to file a formal letter of complaint with the District of Columbia Court of Appeals Board. Uh, the Professional Responsibility Board, about Brandon Van Van Grack. And Adam Mill did that, and, and it's a great idea as well as a, a real um, thing to do. So welcome, Adam, to the program. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on.
2: So, Adam, walk us through this. What does is, what is a letter like this mean? What did, you, what did you do? What do you allege? Walk us through this.
1: OK, well, Ed, you just absolutely hit the nail on the head, which is, you know, we've had several instances in which uh, these uh, uh, deep state attorneys or deep state prosecutors uh, will go do things, various uh, types of misconduct. A perfect example is Kevin Kleinsmith, who was caught red handed lying to the FISA court. And then before the Department of Justice punishes the people, they get wind of it and then they resign. And it seems like they just, you know, escape. Liability, but Brandon Van Grack is licensed in the District of Columbia, and more than so many other of these um, these actors, I really felt that his misconduct matched up very clearly to some rules of ethics that uh, really every every licensing jurisdiction imposes on attorneys, particularly prosecutors, but to include the, the DC um, uh, licensing jurisdiction.
2: Right. And and so what is it? What what is it that uh, uh, again we're talking with Adam Mill and his piece over at AmericanGreatnessAmGreatness dot com? I'll put it up on social media. But the, what are they? And I'm looking. I'm looking at your. Uh, it's actually pretty cool. It's the letter itself that's filed, and 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 there are. Uh, let's see, five or six. Five violations of the DC bar. For, we should say that if you're an attorney and Adam is, I am, that you are bound in order to have your license by these rules. Sometimes they are inane, but generally they're pretty normal. They're you know you're not going to lie to the court, and if you. If you do these things, you're, because you're expected to be an officer of the court, you expect to have certain standards, otherwise the system seems to w- would fall apart. So tell us what Brandon Van Grack uh, did that, in your mind, are, are violations of the D.C. Bar's Rules of Professional Conduct.
1: Okay, but before I do that, I'm going to give you one other piece of background. Brandon Van, okay. Brandon Van Grack is also the head of the uh, FARA, prosecution unit in the Department of Justice. Safara is the Foreign Agent Registration Act uh, authority, and and these are notoriously political prosecutions. And so I've written before about the fact that Brandon Van Grack, who's a, an alumni of the Mueller team, is perfectly positioned to reprise the basically political interference with uh, elections and the peaceful transfer of power. So it's really important to hold him to account for uh, potential violations of ethics. But, and and I don't do this lightly. Uh, this, this struck me as a very, very clear violations, And particularly with the Department of Justice motion, uh, they've acknowledged some facts that really lead to an unes- unescapable conclusion that Brandon Van Grack should be investigated and perhaps disciplined. So let's just start. Let's just walk through it. Uh, to start yeah. with, uh, Brandon, Van- Brandon Van Grack prosecuted an innocent man. He was known to be innocent from the very beginning. And a lot of people focus on the fact that they think that um, th- that General Flynn's uh, statement to the FBI does not match up with the wiretap that uh, the transcript that was taken of him when he spoke to Kislyak. That's actually only right. one small piece of the entire puzzle. The fact that he, what he was asked about during the FBI investigation, his answers might not have matched up with the transcript, That's that doesn't mean he lied. Uh, he could have easily misremembered it. He was not given the benefit of the transcript. He They played a memory game with him. And who among us can remember any conversation? That we had a couple months earlier to Precision, particularly when he was calling all kinds of foreign waiters. So we don't know right. that he ever intended to lie. Uh, in addition, the FBI can't just start ha- interrogating you over things that aren't crimes, because for exactly this reason, it has to. He, what, the subject of the interrogation has to have something to do with a with a crime. And the, the Flynn conversation, even before the, the Flynn conversation happened, the FBI leaked it to the Washington Post that he was cleared of any wrongdoing for having that conversation with Kislyak. Just a couple of days beforehand, and and to this day, he's never been charged or accused of doing anything wrong by talking to Kislyak or what he said in that conversation. I mean, this Logan Act stuff is baloney. It's an unconstitutional law. It's never been prosecuted. It's a, it's nobody believes that, and and the Department of Justice rejected that in their motion. So. If if he did if they did interrogate him and he did make a misstatement in that they have to show it related to a legitimate investigation related to the FBI. This is what happens in, in right. third world countries in in despotic countries. They just send the police officer to go talk to people and they get them talking and talking and talking until they find some mismatch between a fact that's known and what the person says. Charge them with that crime even though the person never did anything wrong at all. So that's that's the first right. issue. The second issue is we had a strategic leak of this uh of this diplomatic uh communication between between flynn and kislyak uh which if Van Grec and we don't know that vangrek had anything to do with it uh but uh if somebody was in the prosecution team or the special counsel uh, of course the special counsel wasn't um in- technically embodied then but the many of the people were who Ended up joining the special counsel. were already working on the on on the prosecution and investigation. If they did that right. uh, intentionally, uh, that's potentially a violation of pretrial publicity. That's uh, three point eight F. Uh, then the, right. th- the biggest problem that that uh, Flynn's attorney has just lost her mind over, and I think this is illegitimately, <laughs> is the fact right. that the the FBI and Van Grack have he- have withheld um, the critical evidence and indeed when the department of justice sustained the motion to dismiss they they admitted to the fact that when he entered his plea he didn't have all the facts he didn't have the full picture not all the exculpatory information was disclosed to him and what the, what the critical thing is is the fbi uh was set to close the investigation of Flynn because they hadn't found any derogatory information and struck, intervened, struck the um, FBI agent we remember from those text messages with Lisa Page. He he investigated Flynn, interviewed Flynn. He kept it open not because they were investigating a crime, but because they thought this was an opportunity to get him to lie. So that's a violation right. of, uh, of of Rule three point eight D and or E. That was exculpatory information. They withheld it from the defense. That's a violation of Brady. It's a violation of the Constitution. Right. But right. then, right. but then the next the next issue is that uh, Brandon Van Grack repeatedly certify compliance with the judge's order saying the judge yeah this saying is this is cr- turnover
2: yeah This is crazy because the judge basically says to him, "Okay, if you didn't give everything now, do it. And and he says, yeah, I did. I did. And he I think twice. your point is at least once, maybe twice. Yeah, twice. He he signs a document and says we did it. And then later, with very little effort, as far as I can tell, U.S. Attorney Jeff Jensen finds a bunch of things that were should have been turned over. Right. I mean, if you're Judge Sullivan, you ought to be losing your mind. Right.
1: Yeah, and we can we remember that Judge Sullivan was the presiding judge on the Ted Stevens, Senator Ted Stevens case, in which a strikingly yeah. similar pattern of events happened in which the uh, prosecution withheld very exculpatory evidence from the defense, and it was discovered uh, later on that the defendant was, in fact, exonerated because of the information that, that came out after post conviction. Uh, so, right. yeah, so Van Grek uh, appears to have, have either falsely certified his compliance with the judge's order to produce everything, or he looked the other way and basically was willfully ignorant of the available evidence. The final, uh, the final ethics issue, and this is something that just I think has been completely forgotten or overlooked, is that uh, when Struck was kicked off of the Mueller team, it was because they had discovered the Office of Inspector General had discovered all of these text messages, which clearly showed political animus towards. Uh, towards yeah. Trump, candidate Trump, and then President Trump, and of course Flynn is a conspicuous supporter of President of candidate Trump and then President Trump, and, and everybody knows, everybody knows that the reason they went after Flynn is because of his association, his participation in the in the Trump campaign, and his association with with Trump. That's really what was going on there, and so there right. were two sets of phones. There was one phone that the OIG uncovered in those text messages, but there was a second phone that was actually issued while he was working for the Office of Inspector, for the the Special Counsel for Mueller. That phone, after even after it was discovered that these texts were out there, Mueller and probably Van Grack, because Van Grack was in charge of the Flynn uh, uh, prosecution and the, and the indictment was imminent, they allowed his phone to go back to the IT people in FBI and those t- Text messages have been lost forever. Those are clearly yeah. relevant to Strzok's Struck's impression of the case. Whether it was a, a, whether Flynn did anything to obstruct a case, whether he thought Flynn was even lying. So that's a violation mm-hmm. of three of rule uh, professional conduct three point eight d in DC. So those are the five basics. There are several others that that kind of nibble at the edges, like threatening uh, to prosecute Flynn's son, threatening criminal liability for Flynn's attorneys. Uh, Just some really dirty tricks that have just since day one have attended uh, this prosecution
2: we're talking we're talking with adam mill and adam's attorney and he filed this complaint against uh brandon van Grack. um what happens now i just got about a less than a minute left what happens now you file this letter it goes into the dc court of appeals they have to they sort of have to look at it what will you ever hear from them will they just send you a letter someday that says we took care of it or what happens next and what what could we expect what's best case worst case real quick
1: Well, I've only done this once before, and that was when Cohen revealed uh, confidences uh, uh, involving Donald Trump. I filed a complaint there. And all I got was an acknowledgement letter, and Cohen was promptly disbarred um, shortly thereafter, probably because of other reasons. But uh, no, what will likely happen is that that Van Graak will get a copy of the the letter, and he'll be given a a period of time to respond, perhaps 30 days, and then it will be adjudicated. And if they determine that There's something there. Uh, They'll assign a um, essentially an attorney to act as a prosecutor, an ethics prosecutor Mm -hmm. against Flynn, and and then that'll be taken up to be to be adjudicated, and he'll get a hearing (laughs) and and get a chance to respond. It's very possible that we'll just end with him getting a uh, a letter explaining that there's been a complaint filed, and he'll be he'll be asked to respond in writing, because. You
2: know, it's D.C. It's inside the Beltway. It's D.C. All right. Adam, it's a good piece. And as always, it's a smart angle that I don't think anybody noticed until you did it. Adam Mill, uh, I'll put it up on social media. Thanks, man, for your time. and appreciate it. And good insight. We will uh, talk again. We'll take a quick break. and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. I'm um, very, very pleased when I can get someone from the Media Research Center to come on. They Their tagline is America's Media Watchdog. They are very good. Their website. In fact, I just went on there, Rich, to look at something else for our preparing for this, and I got drawn into uh, the coverage that the Media Research Center has up about <laughs> a stumbling, bumbling Biden interview. Uh, but I, I repeat myself by saying a stumbling, bumbling, and Biden interview. I mean, all of them are, but this one was about Flynn. Uh, but Rich Noyce is the research director at the MR. Um, R.C.'s, uh, the America's, excuse me, Media Research Center, America's Media Watchdog, and an expert on media and politics. I've been on all over. You see him all over the place in TV and all Rich Appears. He had a post up on the blog there, and you go to um, newsbusters.org and see all their stuff. But this one what caught my eye, which was the top, I love these things, top, uh, the eight worst fake news stories of the Trump years. I don't know how you get eight. I don't know how you keep it to under 20. But uh, here they are, the top eight. So, Rich, welcome to the program. How are you today?
0: I'm good at it. How are you?
2: I'm doing fine. It feels like the fake news is accelerating. You know, it's accelerating faster and faster towards insanity, even more than usual. But so let's run through, though, now that we have we've exposed the Russia hoax. You know, the, the Pulitzer Prize was awarded, uh, you know, kind of ab initio, as they say. The Pulitzer Committee said, oh, let's give it to The New York Times, too, for their coverage of the Flynn case, among other things, even though it was all a fraud. But so let me hear your top uh, top few or we'll go through all of them if you want the of uh, the worst uh, fake news stories of the Trump era. Let's hear them.
0: Well, I was going to say, there are, in fact, hundreds of these things. Cheryl Ackeson has a list (laughs) up on her website. I think she's at 197 and counting. Uh, I wanted to whittle it down to the ones that really got picked up by the rest of the media. They really were awful stories that, you know, just any journalist with decent sense would have fact-checked. They would have checked for sources. They would have done something to keep it from being on the air. Let alone, you know, picked up on it and run it through the paces. Uh, A lot of these did have to do with the Russia investigation. Uh, There was one in uh, August of last year, I think it was, when Lawrence O'Donnell of MSNBC just claimed. he had a source he couldn't confirm it, but he put it on the air anyway that uh, he knew somebody who said that Trump's had loans that were co-signed by a Russian oligarch. It turned out even the source that he was supposedly relying on didn't know that that was true or not, and he still put it on the air. It was a huge embarrassment for MSNBC, but it just shows the the eagerness with which they uh, they went on uh, to try to find things that would make make Trump look guilty. There was another one. That was similar. You remember this from the very beginning of the administration when CNN uh, wanted, was so anxious to sort of break the news that there was some kind of a, uh, of a, of a, of a blackmail, uh, call it the P tape, if you will, right. of uh, supposedly yeah, things yeah. That the president had done before in Moscow. This was all based on a dossier that. That uh, was essentially, you know, came out of a Democratic uh, campaign OPPO research, but they put it on the air, they talked about it, uh, they went over and over at it again. Over the course of years, it became sort of this, this running thing. The inspector general found that there was never anything to it. Uh, the FBI, you know, helped sort of push this out there. People like Comey knew that it was a fraud when they started talking about it. Uh, but, you know, CNN in particular just ran with that and helped make that into a national, uh, a national joke. And I think CNN has become a national joke.
2: We're talking with Rich Noyes over from the Media Research Media Research Center, and again, Newsbusters dot org is where you want to go. And especially, I like the blogs. And uh, uh, you know, but I picked up. I noticed. Um, I think it was. I think it was Tim Graham who wrote a piece on um, on one of um, uh, on one of the these topics um, uh, about uh, the fake news. But I, I, what I want to ask you, Rich, I, I'm trying to look for that story. I'll come back to it. Um, Rich, you guys cover this, right? The Media Research Center is covering the media. I mean, it's it's almost inexhaustibly fast how much. Oh, I know what he was covering. Tim Graham from your shop um, wrote about uh, Kim Jong Un. They covered Kim Jong Un as he was sick and dead and all this. And everybody in the whole world went, oh, oh my gosh, a half almost a nuclear power who might be. And then the story went away. And and it was like who nobody pays a price for any of the fake news. You know, in fact, you get a Pulitzer for the fake news. If you're the New York Times, how did how does this go forward? I mean, where do we end up?
0: Well, that, I mean, that's the biggest problem, is that, you know, people inside that was another one, I think it was Jim Shudeau, a former Obama administration spokesman, now works at CNN as an objective news anchor. You know, he helped sort of push that story. Uh, you know, what were his sources? You know, was was that something that was just sort of half-baked? I mean, you know, it, and yes, and it turned out nothing. nothing ever came of that. That was something that never had, it was never fit to air, and yet they aired it anyway. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, journalists... I mean, you've heard it, you know, since even before the president took office. They don't like being criticized by him. They think that his criticism undermines the public's faith in the news media. No, it's activities like this, where the news media shows they're not worthy of the same kind of, uh, of respect that they might have had years and years ago. That's what erodes the confidence And they should be doing a lot more to make themselves bulletproof than to just whine and complain about people criticizing them
2: um we're again we're talking with rich noise research director at the media research center and uh, newsbusters dot org is the best place I think to go get their stuff and they've got a bunch of blogs and columns posted it it's really useful rich back to the fake news the biggest fake news of the trump era I mean does the Charlottesville hoax get up there I mean where they basically don't look at the transcript and pretend that the president was praising racists and neo-nazis i mean is that up there how about the clorox hoax where they he's talking about the fact that they do these things to clean your lungs out with us uh, sunlight and other things and then they say oh he's telling people to drink Clorox I mean uh, and and you know what's what's your favorite give me another one of these stories that's been so uh, so uh, widespread those are two that jump out to me but what are you what do you think
0: actually surprisingly neither one of those made it Uh, I mean that just shows you what (laughs) what, uh, a vast uh, buffet we had to work from but uh, you know the most recent one is the coronavirus and that was the president went at a rally uh, in feb- late February of uh, 2020 talk about the coronavirus being the Democrats' new weapon against him. He called it the Democrats' new hoax. Politico started it, but then everybody else the media jumped onto it, sort of saying that the president was trying to say that the virus itself was a hoax, as if he was some, somehow out to lunch. They misinterpreted his words. It became something you saw on CNN. You saw it on NBC. You saw it on MSNBC. You, you know, the, the fact, the liberal fact-check sites said that would, there was nothing to it, uh, that this was all a, a they, they gave Politico a false for that. And yet you still had um, uh, NBC doing it as recently as April repeat that as sort of a talking point, uh, you know, if they're going to want to correct the president and correct other people, they've got to correct themselves when they're wrong. I mean, that's the only way to get their credibility back. But you've seen how partisan they play these games.
2: It um, it is, and you, and the question becomes: the problem is the trap that we're in. Uh, we're talking with Rich Noise from the Media Research Center, and, and um, is it, it, that I think we're stuck in is the business model for CNN and MSNBC, and in a smaller to a smaller degree to in Fox is to just talk to their choir, right? And to agitate their choir and keep their choir, you know, kind of ginned up. And so there's no incentive to break out of the silo they're in. And, and you know, so what do you do then, right? If you if you go on Twitter, uh, I was telling someone this experience, you go on Twitter and you see whatever you say, you'll get all the sides attacking and it's kind of like a free for all. If you go on something like Parler, the, that's another social media, I, I know you know, but my listeners, it's a, another social media, kind of like Twitter, it's more center right. It's, but it's really only center-right. There's nobody in there disagreeing with you. I mean, are we just stuck in our, our camps? Is that where we are, Rich? I mean, how do we break out of our camps?
0: Well, I mean, I think the audience has to do it for themselves. They've got to go find news from different sources. But the media certainly can I mean, you know, CNN, you know, clearly they and MSNBC have gotten to the point where they're only telling liberals uh liberal Trump haters what they want to hear the most. There was another one here that I want to bring up. Uh back in July of twenty eighteen, you had this round of stories on uh on CNN and M S N B C that Donald Trump was somehow a Russian agent, uh a, a Putin agent, uh enmeshed in the presidency. That is totally preposterous. There's no evidence for that. Of course there's no evidence for that. What am I saying? But yet they still talk about it as if it was a serious idea. Now that should never have been allowed by an editor. And it's because of this this desire they have to sort of keep their ratings up with the people who want to hear things like that, rather than be journalists first. And, you know, again, they're never going to get their credibility back unless they put the journalism and their professionalism first, they're it's going to become bigger and bigger marginal players.
2: Yeah, I think that's where they're headed. All right, Rich Noise, thank you as always, and I encourage people go over to NewsBusters org, uh, the Media Research Center's, uh, uh, the their tagline is America's Media Watchdog. It's really good, though. In fact, even more uh, fun. I hate to tell you, I just found a Cal Thomas, a recent Cal Thomas column, which was over on the side of the website, and I love to read him, so it's great. So thanks, Rich. Thanks for your time and for the the list of the uh, fa- the, the worst <laughs> worst or biggest fake news stories of the Trump era. I think they'll be and we'll be adding to that list as we go. Appreciate it, Rich. All
0: right, Thanks a lot, Ed.
2: All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego.
1: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed
0: Martin.
2: The link between money and politics is as old as politics itself. There's a reason the Bible calls the love of money the root of all evil. Even the purest pursuits can become vices if the love of money enters the equation. It comes as no surprise that a giant infusion of cash from billionaire Mike Bloomberg makes this more pertinent than ever. When he threw millions of dollars to the Democrats to flip the Virginia House of Delegates, the newly empowered liberals extended their legislative session to spread the corrupting influence of money. They didn't just corrupt politics, though. They came after the sports that we all love, too. Sports gambling has had a major resurgence since 2018 when the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in Murphy v. NCAA opened the door for states to legalize sports gambling. The court completely ignored the obvious problems of legalizing sports gambling, like enabling gambling addicts to lose their savings. Justice is supposed to be blind, but it should not be blind to the harm caused by decisions like this one. The court observed that gambling was largely banned throughout the country by the end of the 19th century, but then the court omitted the reasons why it was banned. Its corruption of politics was one reason, and gambling will definitely corrupt sports too. It's not just a few ultra-conservative voices crying in the wilderness on this one, either. The NCAA, which governs college sports, has long opposed gambling on its games. They say, quote, the NCAA opposes all forms of legal and illegal sports wagering, which has the potential to undermine the integrity of sports contests and jeopardizes the student athletes and the intercollegiate athletics community, end quote. I couldn't have put it better myself. Gambling turns a fun-filled American pastime into a greedy race to destroy all the other teams. The children of our nation idolize sports stars. If sports becomes all about money... What will happen to the value of sportsmanship and honest competition? We must maintain the integrity of American sports to protect the generations of young people who watch them. Let's reject the foul play of legalized sports gambling.
1: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then, share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis
0: Schlafly Report.
2: Welcome back, Ed Martin. Here in a Pro America report, got to wrap it up today. Wrap up, wrap up. Ed Martin's Pro America report. We got to cover Flynn. If you were tuned in, and I hope you will turn at Eagle. Ed Martin is my Twitter handle. You can tune in. Go there right now, and you can watch the first part of this program as a uh, Periscope. There, it's about ten or fifteen minutes. Good fun. And at the end of that, before I go back to doing the show with you all, I uh, do a little uh, before, maybe during the commercial, about thirty forty seconds with the viewers there, and I so I preview some. Here's what I previewed. And that is Flynn is free. Hashtag Flynn is free. General Flynn is just about free of the incredible sort of unbelievable torture of, think about this, three years and three or four months. He was was fired in January, late January of 2017. And now it's May of 2020. Three years and four, I guess, three or four months, well, we four months, three. Think of that. Forty months of his life he could have been sentenced to forty months he was sentenced to forty months in a kind of uh american jail a a, uh, a a a russia hoax jail where his he had to sell his house, pay lawyers, go through all this stuff, be slimed in the media well, general Flynn is almost almost free and uh, I have to say i 've got to know him over the years in these last two years he 's just a wonderful guy, very talented, and it 's going to be great to uh get uh him. Uh, Free of this and here's why Here's what I was going to tweet about And I saw him uh, Well well, yeah I guess I can admit that I saw him uh, briefly And um, he is uh, Not going away you would think at 61, almost 62 years old, if you went through this like he did and you have a pension, you retired from the military, you would just go on with your life. He's got grandkids and all. He is not going away. I think he wouldn't have gone away anyway. I believe he's too—you know, he's got too much to give, too much service to give. But he is now going to emerge from this, I would tell you, stronger than ever. He's going to have to solidify and strengthen his family and things, but he is going to come back. He has an argument he wants to make. He has a viewpoint he wants to discuss with the people of this country and he's going to do it. And, um, he's got an unbelievable family. He's got unbelievable God given talent, but also just worked his tail off to get where he is. And he recognizes what the moment is. He recognizes what the moment is. He sees what the, the reality of the moment In terms of what is at stake in America And he is coming back uh, to, uh, to contribute he, he, He's not going away And so I, I just I, I think it'll break up this, this week The case will finally be done The uh, Flynn matter I think the court will finally rule We'll see I know the President of the United States uh, Well I, I, Look I just think that it's going to come clear come, come clean soon And then you're going to see General Flynn emerge again And the form I'm not sure of that yet I'm not sure if he's going to be, um, you know, uh, lecturing, teaching, writing books. Uh, I think he will be involved in politics. I don't know what form that would be. I don't think it's in his it's in his um, in, in his mindset to ever leave any part of the battlefield. And right now, politics is a battlefield. And I can tell you this. He's he's not angry at President Trump. That's not who he sees as behind this. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He, I think he thinks that President Trump was trying uh, to get him through, get get things through and, and had to work with the system. So my point to you is be encouraged. If you're a fan of, uh, of General Flynn's, be encouraged because he is going to be around and he's going to be making a difference. And I think it's going to be pretty exciting. All right. I, I will re- preview for you. Tomorrow we're going to talk about uh, Betsy DeVos, this, uh, uh, Education Secretary. She's trying to change the rules uh, on the college campuses and how they prosecute small p prosecute uh sexual assault it's been to the disadvantage of young people uh would have been to the advantage of looks like of um joe biden if because he gets he doesn't he doesn't want to process for anybody but that's another conversation so we'll talk about that tomorrow and a lot more john schlafly will be with us so we'll take um all that on tomorrow thank you for tuning in thank you as always to uh, the great noah our technical director joanna for helping book and hang in there and we'll be back tomorrow it's ed martin here in the pro america report talk to you then